Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app that turns your phone into a working GPS. This time of year, I'm scouring the maps on the desktop version of the app to look for areas to scout during the spring, as well as potential hunting locations for my annual western hunt. The new 3D feature makes it convenient to be able to look for hidden benches and understand the lay of the land. If you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app for yourself, head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW to save yourself 20%. Tethered. So Tethered is a company that was founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while still being able to create the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. Currently, I'm using the Phantom Saddle System with the Predator platform for all of my mobile hunts. To learn more about tethered and saddle hunting, head over to tetherednation.com. Maven Optics. Maven is, is building the highest quality optics at half of the price of their competitors through the direct-to-consumer cons- business model. They want to be able to create the best optics for the job, period. The products are back with a lifetime, no-fault warranty with an incredible customer experience. I'm using the, the B3 8x30 binos for all my shed hunting, spring scouting, and it also they're so lightweight that they're always on me in the tree in the fall as well. So you can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. And last but not least, Spartan Forge. Hunters require an accurate forecast of the best hunting days and the best hunting spots to save time on scouting and executing the hunts. The Spartan Forge Outfitter utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement. They're using science rather than someone's opinion to figure out the movement for your specific hunting area. You can use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 25% off of the outfitter at spartanforge.ai. All right, so for this week's Mountain Buck story, and otherwise known as Mountain Buck Monday over on social media, this one comes from Taylor Cook, and the location is Western North Carolina. So the story goes, I found this buck last year, around four and a half miles deep on public land in the mountains of Western North Carolina. I never caught up with him last year. This October, he was making a little sign in the area, but nothing too impressive. I was only going to have three days this season to hunt him because camping in there is the only reasonable way to hunt that area. So I made it in there around daylight Thanksgiving morning, found a few scrapes that I had to pray were his, and at 4.30 that same evening, he rolled through. The rest is history. Now, I strongly encourage you head over to uh, the East Meets West uh, social media pages. So that's at East Meets West Hunt on Instagram, East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook, and check out the photos of this deer. Not only an incredible deer for North Carolina, but an incredible deer for anywhere. And he's got some cool photos Taylor does with the deer and how he, he was backpack hunting it. Like it was a pretty cool story and such an awesome buck. So thank you for sharing that, Taylor. And and just a reminder to anyone that wants to share their story, either send me an email 
or just uh, send me a message on social media and we'll get it on the schedule. So thanks for sharing that. In other news, it's an exciting week here. The the Long Haul, which is the Mountain Buck, Pennsylvania Mountain Buck film, uh, is going to launch this Sunday, February 14th. Yes, I know that's Valentine's Day. No, I didn't know that when I scheduled it, but it'll launch at 7 p.m. Eastern time. The trailer, the teaser for that is now over on my YouTube channel. So that's just Bo Martonic. You can search that. If you would, hit that subscribe button and check it out. I'm really pumped to get to launch this. This is kind of a baby of mine because it's, you know, where I grew up and, you know, hunting this northern Pennsylvania big woods. So I'm really excited to be able to, to launch this film. And so other than that, I got out in the woods a little bit over the weekend and pull well checked slash pulled six cameras and I probably should have waited. The snow was so deep and I definitely needed snowshoes that I don't have. And it was literally we have at least twenty four inches of snow and it was it was really tough walking to be able to get through there. And you know, I was trying to just sneak through areas. I'm not trying I wasn't shed hunting. You're trying to I didn't want to blow any deer out or do anything they're ready you know having a hard enough time now so i was trying to you know just go in there and check them some of these cameras i've had soaking on scrapes since october and was very 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 happy with the the result and it's funny because you'll watch in the film uh, how we struggled during the our rut hunt and but literally i felt like we could have picked any other trees than the ones that we were in and had an opportunity at one of my target bucks. Like it was November 7th through 10th was hot in my areas. I mean, it had daylight activity on just about all of them in those dates. So it, uh, it was, it was encouraging. I learned a lot for this upcoming year. So on today's podcast, I have Mark Livesey from Treeline Pursuits and the Treeline Academy. And I am super excited for you to listen to this one because he is the absolute master when it comes to e-scouting and all forms of e-scouting, but we're going to focus mostly on elk, but this, this podcast specifically can be applied to a lot of different species. And even like the, when we talk about the strategic hunt plan, I used one of these for whitetail hunting as well. So Definitely, I think this will be a very, very beneficial podcast for you. So uh, I think you'll you'll enjoy that. And I'm going to do at least another one with Mark here in the coming weeks. But he, after the podcast, he offered up a code. If anybody wants to check out his e-scouting masterclass, um, you can save $20 on that with the coupon code East Meets West. So I'm thankful Mark decided to share that with uh, the listeners here. And I'm going through the course myself for the first time and learning a ton. It is very informative. Mark obviously has over 30 years of experience, as you'll hear here. But anyways, I'll let uh, let the podcast roll here. So as always, thanks for listening. All right. Welcome back. Another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. And I'm joined on the line from my Montana buddy, Mark Livesey. How's it going? Bo, how are you doing? Doing great out here. 
I'm doing well, just making it through the Northern Pennsylvania winters here and, and, uh, excited to talk a little bit about e-scouting. What, what have you been up to? Well, our winters are, it's been pretty weird. I mean, to be totally honest, I'm looking out my window right now in my yard and I can actually see grass in a few places. And that is never the case in end of January. <laughs> so <laughs> we have, I mean, we usually have feet of snow by now up here where I live. And uh, we just literally got, there's no way we've got more than two inches up here on the ground. So it's been a really strange year for winter. We've had some 40 degree, 50 degree days. Now we've got a lot of snow up high, a lot of snow, but down in the valleys and stuff, we don't have a lot of snow, which for all you guys that are planning on hunting elk in Montana this year, this is, this could be a fantastic year to have an elk tag in Montana. So the elk are really going to thrive. The winter kill is going to be, well, unless something gets crazy, the winter kill is going to be, you know, much less. The calving operation is going to be good. Um, it's going to be a really good year for Montana elk. Uh, that's it's it's interesting. My br- my brother just moved to Montana in the end of October, and yeah, he was. I've been talking to him, and he was telling me how the winter seems to be pretty mild. I mean, he's not hasn't lived there any other years, but uh, from what everyone has told him, and seems like we've been getting worse weather here in Pennsylvania than and more snow than than you guys have. <laughs> but we we honestly we have plowed our we live up on a mountain on a dead end. We live about a mile and a half from the road and we have plowed our private road, I think two or three times the whole winter. Wow. Which is pretty incredible. I've had to put chains on my truck. Usually I have to put chains on my truck to get down and I've only had chains on my truck maybe twice. Wow. (laughs) It's pretty, it's pretty unbelievable. I keep waiting for the, you know, for the hammer to drop and uh, (laughs) I keep, I I keep looking at extended forecast and um, actually it was kind of bad. The duck hunting this year was, was good, but it wasn't really good until late because we, where we're at here, we really count on the cold weather to bring some ducks down from Canada Mm -hmm. and we just didn't have that much. So the duck hunting was a lot of the water was still open. It wasn't frozen. So the ducks had a lot of options. And that's a new passion for me is duck hunting since I moved here too. And um, so it's, it hasn't been the greatest duck season ever. But uh, but for all you guys that I don't, you know, I don't mind saying this too much. Everybody, I get a lot of hate from my Montana friends. But when I start promoting elk hunting in Montana, but um, <laughs> the reality is, the reality is they limit the tags, so it doesn't make any difference. The tags are going to sell out. Period. So it doesn't matter what you say or don't say. Um, we're going to get the same number of non-residents we always get. And I'm not a non-resident hater. There's so many people that are, but. I used to be a non-resident and let's be honest last year I had five elk tags in four different States. So I hunt more non-resident than I do as a resident. So, you know, I'm a non-resident. I hunt more States non-resident than I do here in Montana. So I, you know, I, I just, I have a different perspective and I look at it a little differently. Yeah. That's, that's a good way of looking at it. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to hunt Montana this year for the first time. And I, I don't think I've even talked about it here on the podcast, but I was planning on me and two of my buddies, uh, we're trying to draw 
one of the the units up in the Missouri River breaks got yeah. enough points that I should draw. But the problem is, is I didn't get a preference point back in the fall. I got a bonus point, but not a preference point. So I'm worried about drawing the general tag to even be able to get the the draw tag. So. Yeah. Oh, don't even get me started. The Montana, <laughs> the, Mon- the bonus preference point gets so many people confused. Yeah. And, and the fact that you apply and don't get it and then they don't automatically give you the point that throws people for a total curveball. And um, so, yeah, it's a, it's not a complicated state. It's just a strange way of doing it. There's no other state like it. And so it's, for non-resident, for residents, it's easy. Mm-hmm. For non for non residents, it's it's a it's it's kind of a a complicated little setup. Understanding draws versus general tax, yeah, and and because uh, you know we've got a bunch of general units, like you know, but we also have some draw units that you have to first draw <laughs> to be considered for the draw unit. You first have to draw the general tag, like you just said. Then you're put in the draw for the draw portion of a, of a, a special unit, so to speak. And uh, that gets people a little like, what? <laughs> yeah, it just it, it yeah, blows my mind. And, and I was kind of embarrassed myself that I feel like I as as someone who tries to help people understand this stuff from the <laughs> east that I overlooked it myself and was just like, you got to be kidding me. But so you, so you missed so you missed your preference point for last year, but you have preference points for other years, right? No, I don't. I I'll, oh, so you're oh, I can buy one rate when I'm applying, which should right. give me a sixty to seventy percent chance from what I'm looking. But I should have had about a hundred percent chance if I would have been thinking ahead. And I I, I jokingly blame it on uh, both my all of our, my buddies. <laughs> we 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 laugh because we said that. We're like, all right, we're not going to talk about 2021 hunts until we kill our whitetails for 2020. And it just took me longer this year than it normally does. So I didn't start planning this until December and I completely missed uh, the opportunity there. So that's my fault. <laughs> well, you're now that you're in the elk game, you're going to find out you guys got to start playing these three or four years out. I know. I've always hunted over the counter tags. And now that I'm starting to ha- build points enough to start hunting some of these draw things, I, I realized I had to put together a more of a five-year plan than uh than i was thinking about in the past so i'm learning the hard way a little bit well my goal my personal goal i've said this before but i i want to have three elk tags in three states every year that's kind of my base minimum and i mean i've done some years with two obviously but i have gone very few years without two elk tags and two different states and so in order to do that I, I'm on a serious rotation. I mean, I've got a, I've got my Wyoming points planned out to like the nth degree, and then I'll have some friend of mine show up that's got like seven points and want to share with me. Like this year, what happened? I'm like, oh yeah, and so I got a bonus year. <laughs> I got a bonus year in Wyoming this year, and uh, but I will say, you know, this is for your listeners, guys. This is a no joke year for elk hunting, and what I mean by that is. Don't put your eggs in the basket because what I saw happen in Idaho this year, I don't know if you guys have talked about it in your podcast, but I have never, I've, I've hunted Idaho almost every year and I buy my Idaho tag like in 
April, May, June. I've bought it right before the season before. And this year, those tags sold out in like four hours. And if you weren't on the phone with your cart open, ready to go, you didn't, you didn't get a tag this year in Idaho. And um, I've never seen anything like that. And so I'm worried that a lot of these guys have been setting on points. A lot of these guys have just been drawing that. And all the people that didn't get in Idaho, there's going to be a run on Wyoming and New Mexico. I mean, sorry, Wyoming and Montana elk tags. So I know you probably didn't want to hear that. I know. I, I, I've, I've thought it and just didn't want to say it out loud to myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that then, but <laughs> hey, our, our job is to educate people, right? Yep. That's the whole point. Yep. And I'm, I'm predicting, and you can, Oh, I'm going to be on record with this podcast, but I'm predicting that people with one and possibly two points won't draw in Montana this year. I think I predict that you're going to have to have one point. Now there's a little bit of random point the way it works. So it's, it's going to be possible, but with the numbers of people that are going to be applying with one point, I think that it's going to be rough because last year was the first year that I remember in a long time that a very high number, a very high percentage number did not draw. So that means that all those people that didn't draw last year have one point. And then all the pressure from people that already had the point. So it's going to be a tough year. And I'm worried. So same thing in in Wyoming. You've been able to draw a general tag in Wyoming with about 2.5 points on average. They average your points between your party. So if you've got four dudes and you average 2.5 points, you've been drawing pretty regularly with 2.5 in Wyoming. I think it's going to not be that this year. And I'm worried because we got 2.66 in our average for our group. And so I'm worried we may not draw when all other years we would have drawn. So anyway, it's going to be an interesting year. I'm, I'm kind of anxious to see what, what happens. Um, I'm going to put more applications in for, to actually draw tags than I usually do. I usually accumulate a lot of points but I'm going to apply for some states that I normally just kind of let it roll like New Mexico. I'm going to go again for New Mexico, which I was not going to do. Um, but I'm going to, because I'm worried about, I'm, it may be a hard, it may be hard for me to come up with two elk tags this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's you made a lot of good points there. And just from, from looking into it now, and I, I wish even with Idaho that I would have, known i think a lot of people were in this boat but would have known that ahead of time i mean like even just two years ago i bought my elk tag in wyoming or in idaho in july and that you know right and now you know december 1st in the first couple hours the zone that i hunted sold out <laughs> it's like it's incredible yeah. i'll be honest with you that any zone that's worth hunting sold out there's a few tags left but they're not the best elk tags i'll be honest with you um, that doesn't mean you can't go there killing out, but certainly they're not, they're not known for their elk hunting success. I'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I hope that, uh, for both of us and anyone listening, we have some sort of luck this year and, and being able to, to pick up, hopefully you can get your couple elk tags. I'm just hoping for one of them. And, uh, if, if not, I got some- complaining, I'm not, comp- I'm- yeah. <laughs> I'm not complaining. I mean, I'm, 
I'm a resident, so I get to buy mine over the counter in Montana. So people are always giving me some grief, like, what the hell? I'm like, <laughs> I, I know, I understand. But <laughs> well, hey, but and, and I've, they could move to spoiled. Montana too, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, oh man, I hope not. Everybody seems to be got having that idea these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, Mark, let's let's dive in a little bit of your background coming from the the Midwest and 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 talk about your your latest business venture here with Treeline Pursuits. Okay, so sorry guys, we got a little distracted with the <laughs> tags, but it's January. It's that time of year. It's important stuff, you yep. know. So anyway, I'm from Missouri. I mean, like you said, you didn't realize it until you heard me on one podcast before, but I'm from Missouri. I'm not from Montana. Um I was born and raised in Missouri. Uh, I started elk hunting in my early 20s, and I missed a few years in there, but I've been coming out west since my early 20s, and I'm now on 55. So I've been hunting elk 30-plus years, and I'm not sure how many years exactly. I know it's around 30 to 32 in that range. Um, I'm not one of those guys that keeps a journal and all that stuff, so I, I have no idea. I just <laughs> love elk hunting. That's all I know. And so, you know, coming from the Midwest, we were challenged finding places to hunt and things have changed now. Podcasts like we're listening to right here, you get so much good information that you just didn't used to get. And the hunt platforms, you know, we've talked about it before we got on the air, but we'll dive into some of that. So a lot of things have changed. And so over the years, I've just adapted to all those changes. I was probably one of the first hunters. I'm sure I wasn't the first I always like to say that because I'm 55, but <laughs> I was probably one of the first hunters that paid $399 to purchase Google Earth when it when you had to buy it. And so when it first came out and was available, I was in line. And that was the birth of my e-scouting is my 300. Imagine that $399. What was it in the, in the late 80s? Um, for a program to go elk hunting. I mean, I'm divorced now. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm married, I'm remarried now, but that's one of the reasons I got divorced <laughs> was my, was my elk hunting pursuits. Now, my wife now is much more understanding of my elk hunting than my, my first wife was. I don't think I've ever mentioned that on a podcast, but <laughs> I'll just throw that out there. But I've been obsessed with finding elk from the East traveling to the West for most of my life. And I love it. I love everything about it. I, I find it almost as thrilling to be honest and almost as challenging to put myself in a place that has elk than actually being able to go out there and kill an elk. I consider it a success when I roll out there, drive all night through the night and the sun comes up and I hear an elk bugle. I'm like, yep. We, we got it right. You know, or we're, we're at least in a, in a semi right spot. And because, you know, if you've never hunted elk and you know, this now elk are not around every tree in the West, they actually inhabit relatively small part of the landscape. Most people don't even really realize that um, they're not even as prolific. They're not near as prolific as whitetails, number one. And number two, they're a lot more concentrated and a lot more, and they're located in a lot more specific places. And so there is really an importance that you should place on what 
features that elk prefer, not just one, but what features in general. And I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of those. So anyway, that's how I grew up elk hunting. That's how my elk hunting career progressed. And then when I moved out here, um, I retired kind of from my business. My wife said, you love the West. We're moving. That's how great my new wife is. And she said, we're moving West where you could do what you love. And uh, she said, you pick the place. I'm like, whoa, okay. So I had always planned to move to Colorado. That was my plan. I hunted Colorado the most because you could get the tags the most. I pretty much exclusively hunted Colorado, New Mexico, Wyoming. I just cycled those three states over and over and over. And so I never even really, I never went to Montana, never hunted Montana, never even been to Montana. And I started looking at Google and started looking at populations and saw that Montana, I had a million, about a million people. I said, yeah, we're going there. So we made, we flew out here. We came into Missoula and we weren't even here an hour. And we're like, yep, we're moving here. And so we packed up move West. And that's five years ago. And so I'm like, I'll just be honest with you, but I'm like a kid in a candy store out here. It's just like, I can't believe the resources. I can't believe the elk. I can't believe the wild places, the grizzlies. I never hunted grizzly country before. I'm so excited about hunting grizzly country that just, I, I freaking love it. So many people are scared to death of it. I, I just love the thrill of it. I love the excitement behind it. Uh, I love the wildness of it. Um, so I, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to explore every nook and cranny of Montana. So with that said, I started having this idea that I wanted to share my, some of my knowledge and what I've learned over 30 years of good, the bad, the ugly, what worked, what didn't. And so I started out on YouTube with a few things, dibble dabbling on that. And I just couldn't get what I wanted there. And then I met Ryan Lampers. He has the Western Hunting Summits here in Montana. Him and I became good friends, even though I don't care, kill near the size of elk he kills. Um, and he invited me to speak at his summit the first year. And I was like, that'd be great. And so I talked about e-scouting and it went so amazing. And I got some great feedback. And so the next year spoke again. And that's when I knew that after the first year I knew, but the second year I really knew that there was a need. There was a, there was a desire out there. People were just looking for ways to improve their hunting. There's so many things about gear. There's so many things about how to hunt, how to call, what units are the best, what states are the best, all this stuff. There's tons of information out there now that helps hunters in a way that was just never available to us. And just the product reviews and stuff that are available on the, on all the forums. It's just incredible. But what's really been lacking is how do you find elk? Like seriously find elk on a high level. I mean, the odds are now, Bo, you broke the odds. You killed an elk your first year, didn't you? No, it took me four years. <laughs> oh, so four years. Yep. Okay. So, okay. I didn't know that. So four years. So there you're still way above the odds. When people look at the statistics, what they're not realizing is that 10% archery, that's 10% of everybody, okay? That's residents, guided people, private land. When you start looking at people traveling from the east to the west on public land, do-it-yourself hunts, 
it would be scary to see the success rates. If you had those limits, if you were able to filter it to that level, it would be scary. So, but there's a way to overcome that. There's a way. Now, this isn't going to, you know, what I've put together is not going to guarantee a 90% success rate by any means. But what I will guarantee is it's going to increase your odds. It's going to improve your ability to find elk. And that's the number one thing. You can't kill them if you can't find them. You can be the best shot in the world. You can be in the best shape of anybody in the mountains. You can have the best gear. But if you can't find the elk, you're not going to kill an elk. And so that really was the core behind this. And um, that's really was my motivation. I had no idea, Bo, that it would turn into a business venture. I just kind of did it because it's my thing. I love doing it. I enjoy creating the course. It took me a year and a half and I have it on an online platform. So I have costs associated with it. So I set it up as a course, put it out there for who wanted it. And it's been pretty amazing the response I've gotten since. That's amazing. And you, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because when, you know, when I started getting into it in 2016 was my first year when I went out elk hunting, I was the same thing. I, you know, I learned so much about all the gear, learned, you know, some of the techniques and stuff, but yeah, the finding elk portion was the thing I, I, I struggle with. I mean, I got, I got lucky on the first, on the first time I, that I was out that the first night we heard a bugle when we packed in, I was never, never you know, never even been in the Rocky mountains and backpacked in because I read in Cameron Haynes's book that you had to find the steepest, nastiest country and backpack <laughs> in, which was a little bit overwhelming to say the least. But anyways, we heard a bugle and got into elk the first day, which was lucky. But after that, it was like a struggle. I remember, I think it was like the second year it took me, I was out there for 14 days. It took me eight days to see my first elk. And it was just a, a real struggle. And I, honestly, so and I hadn't even told you this yet, Mark, but I'd listened to you on a podcast with Cody Rich and just talking about, we'll get into a little bit of this, but like KML files and doing all this stuff and, and looking at it from a whole nother perspective of e-scouting. And when I went into Idaho in 2019, I had a hunt plan, which is something I want to, I plan on talking about in this episode in, in detail, but I just took from what you said in that episode and kind of made this own picture in my head. And now that I'm going through your online course, I'm learning a ridiculous amount more, but I put together this hunt plan and, and went in there and ended up, it, I, I marked a waypoint. I put it on Onyx and I shared it with uh, my buddies that I was going out to Idaho with. And I, I always joke, I always, every time we go out hunting in that day, I say it's hundred percent chance we're going to kill an elk today. And everyone laughs because obviously at that point I hadn't done that at all. And, uh, and so I, I sent, I put, made this waypoint and I said, bowl down and it was just a complete joke between us. And I went in there the, the first, well, the first evening we got in and I heard a bugle from up towards that area. And then the next morning, which would have been the first morning I went in and ended up killing my bull 60 yards from that waypoint. And the, which was, I guess a lot of shit luck there, but at the same time, it was, I, I took e-scouting to a whole nother level and trying to learn it and go through it and just to be able to find an elk and have that all come together like that was just 
it was so awesome such an incredible ex- experience and we ended up you know going through the hunt plan and breaking down the the areas we were going to and and finding elk every day but one on the 14 day hunt because i had the other buddies that had tags as well and it was just an incredible experience and like i said there's probably you know a lot of luck that came involved there but just having that plan and and being able to relieve the the stress of of not knowing what to do and you don't find them in your your spot that you spent all this time looking at was was pretty awesome well you know you said a lot right there and uh (laughs) i hope people pay attention to what you just said if you if you didn't if you kind of dozed off while he was going through that story you need to back back up in this podcast and you need to listen to that two or three times because there was so much in those few paragraphs <laughs> that you, one, you're not giving yourself enough credit. So number one, the fact that you went out there and killed the elk on that spot, you can call it what you want, but it wasn't luck. Uh, now, was it luck that it was 60 yards from the pin? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't luck that you killed that elk there. What it is it, it, I talk about this in the course. I think you probably picked up on this. I kind of wear people out with this. I don't talk about luck. I don't talk about success percentages very much. What I talk about is odds multipliers. Folks, when you go elk hunting, if you do nothing and you just roll out there, you're setting at the odds level of 1%. Let's call it that. I don't know what the percent is. Let's just say it's low. Everything you do, that we outline in this course and probably some things that are not in the course, but everything you do that we're going to talk about is one more notch on that odds multiplier. And if you put enough of those odds multipliers together, all of a sudden your chance of being successful is really getting good. I mean, it's never gear elk hunting. There's, there's nothing further from a guarantee than elk hunting. Let's just be honest. Um, There's too many variables, too many things happen. Um, especially with a bow and, but you got to stack those odds. I wrote an article about this, you know, stacking elk hunting odds in your favor. And that's really what it's about. And you did just that you you've done, you did quite a few of the odds multipliers. You didn't even realize it. You know, you listen to that podcast, you took a little bit of information um, and you put it together. But the main thing you did is you organized it. You, you did some preliminary work, but you organize it into a quote hunt plan. I cannot, I know you want to get into this. So we might as well get into it. I cannot stress enough. There is no reason to take my course. Okay. No reason. I don't even want you to take my course. I don't want you to waste the money. If you're not going to take what you learn in the course and actually develop your master hunt plan, I call it a strategic hunt plan, call it a master hunt plan. I mean, the same thing. And when I mean develop a hunt plan, I don't mean scratch a couple notes down on paper. I mean a detailed hunt plan, the way we go through it in the course, morning, midday, evening plans, ideas, strategies, routes, glassing routes, calling spots, benches to visit, uh, features to look for, to go visit. All these things are outlined in your plan. Are you going to get to all of them? Are you? Do you have to follow it like it's rigid? No, you do not. 
I'm telling you from 30 years of experience, if you take the time to do it, you may never even look at that hunt plan. You've already, by the act of doing it and writing it, you're almost reducing it to memory in itself. But you've got it with you. You've got a written version of it with you. I don't mean put it on your phone in a PDF. Now you can, of course you can do that. I like to have it in writing on paper, folded up in my backpack. I can't tell you how many nights I have been in my tent, dejected. Like I haven't seen an elk in two days. I'm like, what the heck? I know there's elk here. I I know they're here. I'm seeing some signs. I just can't get on them. Pull my hunt plan out and reading through it. And all of a sudden I'll notice something that I've kind of forgot. I'll be like, oh, I kind of forgot about this saddle here with this bench. I'm going to head up there in the morning. Bam, kill an elk the next day. Not necessarily, it doesn't always work out like that. But when you're on a hunt, you kind of talked about this before. You alluded to this in your conversation. When you're on a hunt, there's so many factors and you've gone through this part of the course, but your realities and limitations, you're going through so many things when you're on the hunt, you're getting, you're fatigued. You're backpacking in like Cam Haynes and the super steam. <laughs> you're wearing yourself out. You're getting dehydrated. You're at high elevation. Uh, now you're, you're from a little elevation, so you're a little more prepared than most of the Midwest guys. But you're struggling with all these factors. The last thing you want is to try to remember everything you looked at on your computer when you were three months ago when you were, when you were doing this in your air conditioning. <laughs> and it's almost impossible. I know people think they can do it. Or they throw a bunch of random points in on X or Gaia, whatever you're using, and you expect to roll out there and just look at your points and roll around and visit a few of those. Well, that's an odds multiplier, but that's not taking it to the next level of odds multiplication in my mind. If you take all those points you took the time to put in, they're in there for a reason, right? You looked at a feature, you decided it's worth marking, you put it in your device why not take one more step and put a strategy behind that point? Like, I can't tell you glassing spots, just for example, how many guys will get to a glassing spot 30 minutes after daylight? And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I didn't realize it was going to take me that long. Well, you would have if you would have planned a route and looked at the mileage and looked at the elevation and done a calculation on two miles an hour. You would have known what time to leave your camp. But you just set your alarm for the same time you always set it for, and you get up and you start walking. And if you get there, you get there. If you don't, you don't. Well, you probably missed an entire herd of elk moving into the timber right when you got there. I'm not saying you did. I'm just saying you could have. Mm -hmm. So it's things like that that drive me nuts because do you, everybody, I'm no Bo, you've been four years now. I'm, I'm sure you cherish every day you get elk on. Am I not true? Is that not true? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I look forward to it all year. So those days are very, they're very uh, near and dear to my heart. <laughs> so do you want to waste any time that you can? No. no. You want to maximize your time. So you talked about in the notes you sent me, you go being efficient with your time. You know, one of the things, if when you're doing your hunt plan, you're playing out these routes, these things take time, guys, It, but it's a labor of love. Who doesn't like thinking about elk hunting? I mean, I, there's not enough hours in the day for me to east to east scout. I'm telling you, I, I could do it all day, every day. I love finding new places. I mean, I, I'm on a constant search for new places. So spend the time. 
But you, it, but I think what I've tried to do in this course, I hope it is what I've tried to do in this course, is lay out a strategy so that you can methodically work through this process to end up with an end result of a freaking fantastic hunt plan. And a hunt plan is not, like you said, you said one other thing that I want to mention. You went out there and you got into elk a lot of the days that you were out there. You got extremely, you were extremely prepared. I don't want to say lucky because that's not the word. And you did your work and you rolled into your hunt area number one. And it was, it was a, it was a win. But they're not always a win. So if you have hunt area one, two, three, four, and five, I recommend in the course a minimum of three. And I probably always end up with five for my personal hunts. And there's some other specifics that I that cover in that, like different elevations and some different things. But if you've got three hunt areas already worked out to the nth degree and you're ready to move, you know how long it's going to take you to move. You know how long it's going to take you to drive over. You already got the directions worked out. You don't have to look. You don't even have to think about it. You are efficient with your time. You're not going to be in a position where, well, crap, we've only got three days left to hunt. We don't have time to figure out a new area. We're just going to have to, we're just going to have to tough it out here. Do you know how many times I hear that? Do you know how many times I get emails about that? I'm like, are you out of your mind? No way. Three days. That's all you need. That's all you need to kill an elk. You need, actually, you don't even need three. If you're ready to move, you already have the maps downloaded offline. You've already got your hunt strategy. You know what to do in the morning, the evening, night. I mean, morning, midday, evening, you've got it worked out. You can make that move quickly. You won't be stressed about moving your camp. You won't be stressed about making the drive because you know you've got a goal in mind what you're going to do when you get there. If you roll into it, you're like, hey, you know, I looked at this place over on the other side. I don't know much. Let's just drive over there, see if we can turn up some elk. I mean, can you? Maybe. But it's going to go a lot. Your odds are going to be a lot better if you roll over there with a little with a strategy on how to approach it and with looking for the features that elk like to be, where they like to be, what they're attracted to for certain times and certain parts of the season. If you have all that worked out ahead of time, you're, you're in the gold zone. Your odds are just exponentially. I don't I don't have a number for you, but they are exponentially higher if you take those steps. Yeah. And you, you know what you're saying there about the detail in that and like remembering it and going back and having that in your pack, that, that point right there is, is, was so critical for myself when I, I think of so many things I'm like, Oh, this looks good. And, you know, and then I'd move on and you, you kind of forget about it. You might remember parts of it, but you don't remember the details and having that. So like, like I said, when I created my, my hunt plan, my strategic hunt plan, it was different, but now that I'm going through your course, I'm seeing so many things I'm, you know, going to add and probably use your, your format just in general and switch over to it. But just having those details through there, like you were talking about with the access that made such a difference that morning I killed my elk because it was like, it was a little over a two hour hike to get up I think it was a two hour hike. I can't remember specifically, but it was 2,500 feet elevation gain to get up from camp up to this spot where I wanted to be at when it came first light. And, and in the past, I can't say that I was always great on doing that because I didn't plan it out. And I had the route drawn up as far as where I was planning on following it. 
and I had a detour a little bit. It was, you know, some spot might have been steeper than I expected or rockier and I had to move around. But for the most part, I had it down pretty good. And it just made such a difference. And, ga- and it gave me so much confidence even having that plan and knowing that if something didn't go right, we had a backup plan without completely getting flustered and trying to go back to town to download a map and try to figure out oh, where to man. go next. You know, and I, I you know, I, I have I'm have not even close to hunted as much as as you have, but I feel like I've had some tough lessons in a short amount of time that I'd rather not go through again. So <laughs> just having that hunt plan, I mean, I've taken that plan and molded it into my whitetail hunting in the east. When I'm on a, my seven days off that I can rut hunt. I put together plans like that. I'll have my areas and I'll have specific locations within those areas of where I would have like stand locations and all the details on it, what the wind does there when I scouted it, you know, what are the thermals typically doing this? What does the cover look like? And, you know, if I had ran trail cameras there, what was some of the data I had there? And I have all that information there because otherwise I could spend all this time getting it. And I know we're talking about elk, but this relates so much to, to deer as well is I I can refer to that because it's all there written down. Whereas if I would just realize it once and move on, you forget about it. And then when it comes a time where you spend four days in a tree stand, you don't see nothing. And then you panic and feel like you have nowhere to go, but you really, you do. You just didn't have it laid out and, and planned ahead. So I've just found so much value in this from any sort of hunting that I've done. Well, it's, it, you know, it's like <laughs> anything you make a plan, you work the plan and the plan goes out the window, guys. I'm going to tell you the first you roll into a spot, <laughs> wait, you, you, you wake up in the morning, elk are bugling, the plan's out the window, <laughs> you know, you're going to, you're going to modify, you're going to yeah. make adjustments. You know, I hope most hunters, if they do the work and they go into areas that they've researched to the nth degree. And they roll in there and there's elk there and they're bugling and they never even have to pull that piece of paper out. Then your plan worked perfectly. (laughs) People like, well, I didn't look at it, you know, so I didn't really need it. I'm like, no, you used it. You just didn't look at it because you, that plan is the place is the spot you were at. And I'll tell you, I'm pretty good at finding elk. I'm just going to tell you straight up, but this year, oh my gosh. I had two hunts I was on. I did five different elk hunts this year. And I had a hunt in Wyoming. Oh, I'm not going to name names who was with me. Um, it was not their fault. I'm the one that picked the spot. I'm the one that had the hunt plan together. They just kind of, that's one of the bad things about claiming that you know something about e-scouting is everybody's like, okay, well, you figure it out. And then <laughs> when there's no elk, they're blaming you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then when they do kill an elk, they're taking the credit. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But. We went into this area. It was gold. It had everything. It had every feature. We did not see a boot print, not a single boot print. In the, and it was muddy. And it was horse only. We had 10 or 11 llamas in there. It was just the most pristine elk environment I probably have ever been in. We could not turn up elk. We had a couple of opportunities. We missed a couple of good chances and had a few bugling, but nothing like it should have been. We were 12 miles in, Bo, when this was happening. We're 12 miles in, no elk. And I'm like, we're out of here. We we didn't even, 
We stayed two days and we're out. We walked 12 miles in. We walked 12 miles out, 14 river crossings to get in this spot. <laughs> and we packed out and we moved. And the next spot, this is my money spot. This next spot, I've killed an elk three years in a row. It's a guarantee. Guarantee. We roll in there, middle of the day, at noon. We're standing there. I'm hearing wolves howling. I'm like, what? In the middle of the day? And those wolves never stopped howling. <laughs> and there wasn't an elk to be found. <laughs> they, we did, they had left the area. These wolves had moved in. So now we're down. So we didn't even spend a day. We spent one night. The next morning, we were up and out. We didn't hunt it. We didn't waste our time. We we went out that night. We called it in the evening. We went out in the middle of the night and called and did all the things to try to see if we could turn up elk. Nothing. Packed out again. We're on option number three. And option number three was kind of a desperate spot. First day in there, missed two bulls first day. Second day, killed a beautiful six by. Um, and we were in elk from that point on. But if we wouldn't have moved and we wouldn't have been ready to move and we had to make some tough moves, we did a couple hour drive. We did a 12 mile pack in and out. We did another seven mile pack in, pack out. A lot of guys would given up. They would have been so frustrating. They would have just packed it up. I knew if we work the plan, now I usually do not have to go three deep into my hunt plans, <laughs> but I just want to humble myself. It happens. It happens for all kinds of reasons. And I was three deep into a four option hunt plan before we started killing elk. And, uh, and we ended up killing one, two, three, four out of five. So over the course of the time we were there. Uh, it was pretty great. And, um, but it was not looking good is what I was saying. It was certainly not looking good. And I was so excited. That's one other thing I want to say about hunt plans. I was so invested and so excited about option number one that I I'll be honest with you. I broke my own rule. I did not develop option two. Well, I'd been in option two a bunch. So I felt like I knew it, but I didn't develop it like I should have. I didn't develop option three as good as I should have. It was good, but it wasn't as good as it should have been because I got tunnel vision and I got invested in option one because I knew that was a home run. I knew it was a home run. It had every feature that you possibly could want for elk. Everything. It had everything except elk. <laughs> and uh, But I paid a little price and I won't make that mistake again. So it was a wake up call for me after getting a little cocky, getting a little confident with my own strategies. I kind of did not follow my own advice on number two and three. And I kind of paid the price a little bit this year. Now we ended up recovering from it, but the main reason we were able to recover is because we were able to stay out there a long time. You know, we didn't start killing out till day five or six, seven, some guys, that's all they got. And, you know, I heard you say 14 days and that's a, that's a dream for most non-resident guys, mm -hmm. a dream. And that's really a, an optimal amount of time. If you can take it, sometimes guys have a trouble taking that many days in the mountains, but um, 14 days is really, that's not the average. That's for sure. And uh, so anyway, 
Good job on that. You're one for four. So you're way above the odds. And you're going to be, now that you've got things figured out, I, I would go on record saying you're not going to go four years without killing elk again. And uh, now you might have some bad things happen here and there, but you're going to be in elk. You're going to have opportunities in elk, whether or not you get it done or not. That's, that's kind of the, that's the fun part, you know? Yeah. My, my job with this course, honestly, Bo, is just to help you help guys get better at finding places that have elk. And then it's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. The execution standpoint, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> and that's where, you know, that's just where experience comes in, mm-hmm. really understanding wind and thermals. That's a big difference for you too, Bo. One of the reasons I think you probably had some more success than the average is because you're hunting mountain whitetails and you're dealing with thermals on a, on a, all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, Missouri guys, we don't, there's no, I mean, there might be a little thermal effect, but it's usually prevailing winds. And we don't really deal with too much of that in Missouri. There's some, of course, early in the mornings on a hillside, whatever, but not, not to the degree of out West, certainly, but you have been working in that environment you already are climbing hills. You're already dealing with that. You already knew what you're getting into. Um, and so you really had an advantage. I know you may not think that, but you had a way bigger advantage than the average Midwestern, Ohio, Missouri, Illinois, Iowa elk hunter. Yeah. And and the one thing I learned about, about that was like, th- yeah, thermals, thermals are something that, yeah, I, I didn't realize that that was such an advantage that I had just from understanding that and also learning that thermals don't always just work up and down the way that, that, uh, you know, it can be simplified, I guess, you know, this, like I, I read about it when even going out West and it's like, Oh, you know, they, they come up as the sun heats up the mountains and as the sun goes down and early mornings, you know, it's coming down the, down the mountain bolt that changes so much with, it's a whole nother topic, but with, with different, the way the train, if you got a little spur that's coming out or you got a, the, the way the benches lay out, I mean, there's so many different things there. And yeah, that definitely helped me a lot from dealing with that in the Appalachian mountains. Although that's a, such a smaller scale, it's, it's similar concepts. Right. Exactly. But, exactly. Um, so the, the one, the one other thing I wanted to cover in, in this is part of your hunt plan, or maybe it's a, a different topic here, Mark, but when it comes down to in your hunt plan, finding out access points and finding out what you, you've kind of dubbed zones of pressure, how, how are you going about identifying those access points and, and, you know, kind of identifying the zones of pressure? Well, the zones, I think probably if I'm known for anything, (laughs) it's my art, it's my arts and crafts. Um, People, I've gotten so many emails it says, man, I love your arts and craft approach to elk hunting. I'm like, huh, I've never heard anybody say that before, but uh, you know, nobody knows what I'm talking about yet. But so I've had people send me pictures, Bo, you wouldn't believe it. I posted a few on my Instagram. I've had people send me pictures of their base basement where they built a table with sawhorses and they've got their national forest maps pinned down, you know, stapled down to these boards and they've taken protractors and Sharpies of all colors. And they've gone through and done this zones of pressure analysis. And they're just so proud. They send me pictures of, you know, all these maps and all these, all this markup they've been doing. So 
my arts and craft stuff is catching on, I guess what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, it seems so elementary and it seems almost to the point of being a little childish. And I've had so many dudes message me on the other side saying, Hey, I'm an Avenza. I use Avenza. I, I can do this on digital. I can show you how to do it on digital, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, I'd like to know how to do it better digitally. Meaning, you know, putting certain parameters around trailheads, certain buffers around all the roads. We'll talk about that in a second, but going through all these markups and being able to do it all digitally. But I'll tell you, I don't know that I'll do it because there is something magical. And when I, I don't use that word lightly, there's something magical about that map, National Forest map, to start with, laid out on a table and looking at the big picture with no terrain, no distractions, no nothing, no elk features, no nothing. You're just seeing roads and squares and trailheads and whatever's on that map particularly. There's something about that that creates an unbelievable amount of historical knowledge that the average hunter doesn't even know that they're absorbing. They don't even realize that they're absorbing this information almost like osmotically while they're going through this process. I know I'm talking these I'm throwing around these words like it's making people laugh, I'm sure, but <laughs> don't underestimate this. I spend an entire module in the course on this subject and I need to go back and even do more because it is that important. So one of the first things I do when I decide that I'm going to hunt a certain area, meaning I have done my research on statistics, I've kind of picked a unit or a couple of units if you're in a general area, whatever, I've picked this area that I'm going to hunt in. I've already kind of committed to that. This is where I'm going. Now, I just have to find out where are the elk going to be in this area? Well, I certainly don't start out by um, looking for north slopes, looking for burns, looking for logging areas. That certainly is not how I start out. How I start out is I order the National Forest map if I don't have it, and there's a good chance I do have it. I have every national forest map in the states of Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and I have almost all of them in New Mexico. So I have a giant box of national forest maps. And when I moved to Montana, you're going to laugh when I tell you this. The first week I was in Montana, we were in a rental house and I commandeered the dining room table. I ordered, remember, I never hunted Montana. I ordered every national forest map in Montana. And I outlined using the hunting regulations. So in the hunting regulations, you know, they have a description of the unit bow, like go up this highway and take this drainage. And, and it tells you the legal description of the unit. Does that make sense? Yep. I read the description and that's important. And I marked every unit in the entire state of Montana. I did every, all 100 and some units in Montana, I traced them on every national forest map in the state the first week I was in Montana. Uh, maybe it took me two weeks, but the point was it took me forever. I mean, forever. But you would not believe what I learned doing that. The roads I learned, the mountain ranges I learned, the rivers I learned. 
And you can almost tell me a spot now in my eyes. I know where that's at. <laughs> and it's mainly because I just did all this work on my maps. I outlined units I'm never going to hunt. Okay. Now I'm not saying that's what you need to do. I'm just saying that's what I did. Main reason, because I've never been in the state and I wanted to immerse myself in this state. I needed, I wanted to get my mind around everything there is to know about Montana when it comes to hunting units and district borders, et cetera, et cetera. So that was my strategy. So then, so to back up. So first thing I recommend is that you outline the unit that you're going to hunt on your national forest map and every bordering unit. That's important. Not just the unit you're doing because the borders are really important. And I'll tell you why in a few minutes uh, or the other accompanying units are, are important. So first thing I do is I outline the districts and I don't look at a map and do it. Okay. You can do it that way. You can trace it off of another map, but one of the best ways to do it is to do a combination of looking at another map, but read the descriptions, read the legal descriptions of the units. You learn so much about ridgelines and drainages and rivers and highways and all kinds of things by doing that. I hope that's making sense. But so the first thing you do is outline the units. Then I'm going to summarize this a little because I know we're going to be, I don't want to go through the whole module, but I do all the access points. And what I mean by access points is trailheads, dead ends, any campgrounds, any place that I feel is a takeoff point for hunters. So parking lots or side roads that come to a dead end, anything like that, I put a one mile if it's insignificant, and I put a two mile if it's significant, meaning if it's a named trailhead, like it's got a name campground if it's got a name sometimes dead-end roads if they're really prominent i'll do a two mile but most of the time on the dead-end roads i'll do a mile so i do a protractor or i cut a two mile i make it to scale whatever the map scale is and i do cardboard and i just lay it on the trailhead i cut out a small hole where i can see the, the trailhead lay it on the trailhead do a two mile trace with a certain whatever color make sure you use the same color but pick a scheme of a highlight, uh, not highlighters, but Sharpies. I do a two mile, one mile. I do these, these, I call them buffer zones, zones of pressure. And then I do a one mile buffer around every open road. Now that requires a lot of work because some of the national force maps that you get have motor vehicle use maps and, and, you know, built into them. It'll show you what roads are open to vehicles and what are not, but those maps are never up to date. They're, they don't really print national forest maps much anymore. They don't really keep up with them as much because there's so much digital. I'm finding that there's less and less reprints of some of these maps. So you're going to want to print out every national forest map has it. You're going to want to get the national, the motor vehicle use map for that national forest and use that as your reference to do all the road outlining on your maps. So every open road gets marked and a one mile buffer around those roads. Then I start looking at what is left, the areas that are left. That's when I start pulling up Google earth and start flying over and just kind of looking at some of these areas. Um, I don't really get too, too into the weeds at this point. I just want to get an overview 
I use this flyover technique. I show you how to do it in the course, draw a line, and then have just sit back and let Google Earth fly you through the unit. It's really a great tool. Um, and I spend a lot of time evaluating that. But the main thing is that's how I go about establishing the zones of pressure, where the pressure is likely to come from and giving a buffer zone around that. That does not, guys, I get this all the time. In Oregon, he go, I get comments all the time. In Oregon, man, there's if I did that, there wouldn't be no place left to hunt because there's roads everywhere. I get it. I get it. But the act of doing it is going to show you where they overlap, where the furthest points are. It doesn't mean you're not going to hunt within two miles of a trailhead. That does not mean that. It just gives you an overview look at the pressure. And you'll be amazed at what starts to jump out at you. Stuff that you never even, you'll be like, whoa, look at this little corner over here. This doesn't even look that good. And then you pull up Google Earth and you're like, man, look at this, got a nice north slope. It's got this. And all of a sudden you're you're kind of working on a hunt area. You've got a, the workings or the early development stages of a hunt area. And so I'll work through this process and I'll spend quite a bit of time on this. I do this really early in the season. Sometimes I do all this work and I end up changing units and have to do it again. Um, in a, you know, in a state like Montana where we get general tags, where you can hunt multiple units. I have done this so many times and ended up being in another unit, but here's the point. The work never is wasted. Once it's done on that map, it's done. I can now pull my maps out for all these places I've been in Montana and my zones of pressure analysis is already done. So if I'm going to revisit a unit that I've hunted before, I pull out my map, zones of pressure already done. I really love it. It's worth the time and it pays off and it is a huge, I want to say, no, it's a gigantic odds multiplier. That, no doubt. You, you know, it's it's I haven't gotten to that module of the of the course yet and i've heard you talk about it before but like by putting it down on paper and doing that i I, like you said just the the act of doing that helps you remember so many things too and 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 just putting like you said the the, as you said the odds multiplier uh, a ton of different times and and you know put in the work now and reap the rewards later hopefully and i i just think that that whole zones of pressure thing is, is incredible. And as I'm sitting here, as you're talking about this and I'm thinking about, you know, examples that, that I've had and, and in areas that I've scouted and how much that would have helped get over some headaches that I encountered because of it. I I just think that's, that's such incredible information. And that's why when I went, went through your outline and was looking for things I wanted to cover with you, that's why this really stood out. Well, I haven't been on, I've talked about this a few times on a few podcasts, but really, really haven't dove into it. Like we kind of just did, but, Mm -hmm. um, but here's the thing. The other thing this that you mentioned this, I didn't say this, but I should have, you know, you said you've learned in the past and it would have helped you. So for me, the one of the reasons I've started taking it to a whole nother level, I've had a couple of cases where I packed into areas in my early days. And I, I looked at these trailheads and I'm like, okay, we're going to get five miles from this trailhead. We hiked in and the further we went, the more people we kept running into. 
And I was like, what is going on? And finally, I ran into a dude on the trail and I said, I mean, I'm not, I don't care really where you're hunting, but how in the world did you get in here? Oh, we're parking at this dead end road. It's about a quarter mile from here. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, so we're literally, we're packed in five, six miles. And I missed, I missed a small dead end road that was not on the national force map, but it was on the motor vehicle use map. If I would have gotten it and I would have laid it down and I would have marked it, I would have known it. And if you, if you don't do the buffers around the roads, that's a lot of work. But if you just do the circles around the dead ends and the trailheads and the campgrounds and those primary access spots, that alone is a game changer. Whether or not you do the buffer zones or not, I realize that is takes a lot. It's tedious work. Um, but, you know, that comes down to we only have so much time to hunt. And if you want those odds in your favor, you know, there is the more work you put in, the, the more chances that you're going to have. And, and I, you know, when so the, one of the things that, that I did was go around on the map and I marked every trailhead dead dead end road that I could see, but I was, I was just, I was going through just on Onyx and going through and I'd mark all the campgrounds and, and that helped, that helped. But I think like taking it that next step would just help that much more. And I could use, heck, I could use that here. I, we were, we were shed hunting for, for elk in um, Pennsylvania. So we have an elk herd here. Some of the biggest elk in the country are yeah, within, exactly. within very close to where I live. And we were going elk shed hunting, me and a buddy of mine, we found this area. We're like, Oh, it's, we got 1200 feet elevation gain from where we're parking. We're going to get up there. We're not going to see anybody because it's, it's crazy. The pressure it gets during elk shed season. Well, we get up to the top of this hill and ran into a guy. Um, I don't remember if it was on that trip or might've been a different time I was in there, but ran into a guy and I was like, how did you get in here? There was this older gentleman walking across this top. And I was like, he's like, Oh, he's like, there's a road that comes on this top of the hill. And I didn't even know that, you know? And it was like, if I would have paid more attention to it and broke it down, I would have known, but that was just a, just a small example of, of how that stuff can help. <laughs> well, well, I'm glad you said, I'm glad you said that because one of the things I'm glad you said that about on X, because there's nothing wrong with that. Now, don't get me wrong. I mark every single freaking access spot on my on my hunt platform, no doubt. But the screen limitation. So you know how this works. So on the hunt platforms, when you zoom in, the more you zoom in, the more detail you can see, right? Yep. So especially roads. So they can't show you all the roads when you're zoomed out maximum in some area, cause it's just your whole screen be filled with blue or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so they've, you know, they've got this, I don't know the term for it, but there's selective content that depending on what zoom you're, what zoom level you're in, you're going to be able to see a certain amount of detail when it comes to roads, trailheads, content, you know, icons, recreational spots, whatever. So I have found that even with the biggest of screens, you just can't get that district-wide or unit-wide look with the, with the detail that you need that you can get by spreading it out on the table. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. That makes you, sense. You can, you can do it. It can be done. 
But one thing you can't do in Onyx, I'm just going to point out a couple of things, is you can't draw a circle around a trailhead that's two miles diameter. Um, doesn't have a cap- doesn't do it. But you can do it in Google Earth. And you can export it out of Google Earth and ex- import it into Onyx. I do that. I talk about that in the course a lot. I call it hunt parameters. So I take diameters, certain diameters, one mile, two mile, three mile, and export them into the hunt platforms if I want to use them. And it's a, it's a, it's a really nice technique. And because most of the hunt platforms do not have the ability to draw these circles to a predefined measurement. And so, and there's not a lot of use for it, to be honest, but there is some use to it. And being able to have those on, and I use another feature, I'll just say, come to my mind, in OnX, one thing, don't overlook the hide, unhide features, guys, on these hunt platforms. You know, I find guys that sometimes they'll bring in a, a polygon or an area or a circle, and it's just on their map all the time. There's no reason to have it up all the time unless you're using it. So don't forget that in most of these platforms, you can hide certain icons. You can turn off. And I find a lot of guys don't do it. And it creates a lot of screen clutter. And it kind of distracts from what they're trying to do at the moment, especially if they're navigating or doing something. So, you know, it's just a small tip. But don't forget that you can, in in most of these platforms, you can turn on and off waypoints as as far as visibility of those waypoints. Yeah, no that 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 makes a that makes a ton of sense. Um, so Mark, the, the the last thing I'll say here is I think that we should. Uh, I think this is enough for one episode for everyone to be able to digest <laughs> yeah. here. Um, so if you would give, we'll we'll do a, a second part to this, but I would like you to give a where everybody can find you at as far as find some more information on you and then hopefully listen to the second episode here. Well, the first thing is I hope you'll follow me on Instagram. I share a lot of stuff there about the course, my elk hunting journey, um, myself, my mistakes, my successes. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty open book about most of that stuff. And um, so I do share a lot on my Instagram channel. So I have a Facebook page at Treeline Pursuits, but it's basically a copy of what I put on Instagram. So I'm more focused on Instagram, at least as long as they don't kick me off here anytime soon. So uh, I am on Instagram. It's Treeline underscore Pursuits or Treeline Space Pursuits. You can find it. I can't remember exactly what it is. Um, My website, I actually have a lot of information on my website. So all of the podcasts I've been on, I think I'm approaching 40 now. Um, are all organized on my website by topics and by podcast. So at treelinepursuits.com, I've got articles there. I've got some of my YouTube stuff. I've got stuff about the course, the Treeline Academy course. I've got some llama information and I've got um, all these podcast references as well. But the course itself, it sets at treelineacademy.net. And for at this point right now, I've got one course available, which is the e-scouting course. But next up is going to be mule deer. And then after that, probably bear. I'm partnering with some guys on these courses, uh, especially when it comes to mule deer. I, I'm pretty new at mule deer hunting, only five years in. So I'm going to partner with a guy that really knows his stuff. And maybe I'm going to have a mountain hunting whitetail course uh, as part of my platform as well once Bo gets that done. There we but, go. 
my plan is to have multiple instructors and I want Treeline Academy to become a repository for courses for different instructors to really contribute to the hunting industry. And then it'll be their own course. And, but um, the people that come to e-scouting course will be able to see the other courses. I think it'll be a great, it's a great, great concept. And I'm really hoping to kind of kick that off this year, but treelineacademy.net is where the course is at. If you want to check that out. Awesome. Well, thanks Mark. And that, and uh, that's, well, one thing I'll say about your website is it's extremely organized and I like that you have like the, you know, the podcasts and resources there and it's organized, like you said, by topic, you can see it pretty easily. Like I, I appreciate that for being able to find things. I think anybody else that wants to do that is, would be, uh, should definitely go check that out and also follow you on Instagram. So thanks. Thanks again here, Mark. And, uh, we'll talk to you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.